Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, we're going to do a little different this week. Normally, all I talk about is Trump because it's all there is to talk about. That's what's in the news and the media, TV, the newspapers, magazines. So I'm going to skip Trump a bit this week, though I can't. If I could, I would. I can't skip him 100% because there are some things I want to comment on, but I assure you they won't be that much. So today, the main topic is going to be one that I researched about two months ago and have been saving it to deliver at a special time tonight for no other reason than I don't want to talk about Trump as a lead-in. I'm going to talk about female genital mutilation. That's right. Female genital mutilation, the process, the system whereby uh, certain societies remove the clitoris from a female body. The United Nations did a recent report. This is two months ago. Very extensive report full of all kinds of documentation. Started off with, and this is very interesting, that in England last year, in England last year, between April and September, there was a genital mutilation performed on a female, generally a young girl, every 109 minutes. Would you believe it? Every 109 minutes, a female was subjected to having her personal parts mutilated with a razor-sharp instrument. Slice it off. Uh, the United Nations, the, the report from the United Nations, uh, said that the overall numbers, and this is interesting, the overall numbers of women who are walking around mutilated today in the world amounts to 200 million girls and women. Yes, that's right. 200 million girls and women globally suffered already from genital mutilation. Right. The, um, interestingly, the, uh, the, let's see here, I got so many numbers in front of me. Uh, the places where you also have a significant number of mutilations is in Africa, Somalia especially. Somalia has the most mutilations of any country. 98% of the women the females in Somalia have been generally mutilated. They have been cut. Now, there's a pride involved in this. You say, all the, oh, these poor girls, generally young girls who have this done, by the way. The parents require it. Society requires it. Their customs require it. And you would assume that whether they're five or they're a teenager or a young woman, uh that this is painful, and I, who can say it's not? Uh, there's no anesthesia involved generally, by the way. Uh, but they, they do that, the women, the girls, they do this with pride. It's a proud thing that is being done to them. It's like reaching a certain stage in life that when this is done to them, and God forbid they yell out or cry or scream. It would be most embarrassing, okay? And once it's done... They're up off the table, and they go outside, 
and joined their friends who were dancing in celebration of what was done to them, and they danced with their friends. Because, again, this is an item of pride. Uh, there, <laughs> most uh, countries do the cutting before the age of five. Uh, the cutting, by the way, when it's done, it's sometimes done in hospitals, by the way. In England, it's done in hospitals big time. And you have to understand why. There, why there's a lot of these cases in England to begin with, because there's a big Muslim influx in the population today in England, and they still keep up with their traditions. Uh, the problem is, it's supposedly against the law in England, and this I don't understand, and I could not figure it out, but it is done in hospitals, and no doctor has ever been convicted. They tried to convict a couple of doctors, and they were acquitted, so it's something where the law closes its eyes. The uh, summer seems to be the season when this is mostly done. Again, I don't know why. It's called the cutting season. The summer is called the cutting season. Uh, now, not a nice thing. The the United Nations study also said that this genital mutilation is a hidden danger, quote-unquote, uh, and the full scale of it, even though there's 200 million worldwide walking around with clitorises removed, is not yet known. So this is a pretty bad thing. And it's done primarily in the Muslim religion, and it's done so these girls will not be tempted to have sex. Remove the clitoris, remove the temptation is the way they approach it. Uh, because you must, they want their husbands to get virgins. The guys that are going to marry them want a virgin. And they don't care that even after marriage, their wives with no clitoris might not be able to enjoy the sexual relationship as they should. So that's the story. It's a big deal. It's going on worldwide. Uh, the United Nations tries to stop it. It's unstoppable because it's part of the culture. And I don't know what can be done, but people should be aware this is going on. The Friendly Skies of United. Have you flown the Friendly Skies of United? Today ain't a good day for United. We've all seen by this time on television today the video taken on a United Airlines place plane. It's been, been in the news all day where a passenger was dragged off of a United plane. The plane was purportedly overbooked. It wasn't overbooked. What happened was the plane was full, and then United decided they had four, uh, a team of four airline, the pilots, the co-pilots, and the attendants, that they had to get to another city. So they needed the seats to get them to another city so they could operate a plane there. So they asked for volunteers to give up their seats. No one wanted to give up their seats. So they picked on this guy, okay, as one of the people. And uh, <laughs> oof, did they hurt him. Uh, if you look at the video, again, I assume you've seen it. If you haven't, look for it. Uh, before they even got him out of the seat, he banged his head against uh, the armrest. His head was bleeding. His, his mouth was bleeding. I'm laughing. I'm not. They said he was unconscious at this time. And then you see four, some airport security guards not even dressed. They're in jeans, these guys. And they're dragging him. They dragged him on the floor from his seat. They dragged him off the airplane. Okay. Uh, 
Now, he didn't want to give up his seat. They said, you've got to give up your seat. He says, you're profiling me. He was Chinese, and he felt he was being profiled. Apparently, there's some kind of a regulation that if they want your seat, they can take it. If an airline wants your seat, they can take it, and you're on notice of it because of something either in the law or on your ticket. I've never seen it, but they can take your seat. Who knows this? I don't know. But anyhow, the guy didn't want to give up his seat. They beat him up, in effect, and they dragged him off the plane. Now, it turns out he is a doctor in Kentucky. He's 69 years old. His wife is a doctor. She's a pediatrician in a hospital in Kentucky. Uh, the doctor's name is Dr. David Dao, D-A-O. Uh, he's got a little bit of a sordid background. In 2003, 14 years ago, this already came out a little bit, but not much, he was convicted of trading prescription drugs for sex favors. He paid his penalties back practicing medicine. No one, even with that sordid past, should be treated as he was on that airplane. All of us should expect kindness, attention, proper attention, good handling, no one putting their arms on you. He didn't put his arms on anybody. They put their arms on him to drag him out of the seat. This shouldn't go on. Now, of course, United did not handle this properly at the beginning. They said, we're going to protect our, our employees, and it didn't take very long. It took less than a half hour before the chairman of the board or the president of United was on the airway saying, we're sorry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these things don't happen. This should not happen. I don't know how the hell something like this happens. It's ridiculous. But today, it wasn't the friendly skies of United. Going to get into Trump a little bit now. Ivana, daughter Ivanka. Uh, the NBC News announced this morning that her brother, Eric Trump, said that their father went into and bombed with the missile bombs Syria because of his daughter, primarily because of his daughter. Because Ivana, Ivanka was heartbroken, outraged, as he put it, quote-unquote, heartbroken and outraged regarding the Assad chemical bombings. She's a mother, and she thought it was terrible that children were hurt like this. And Eric says that Ivana influenced her father's decision. Now, is that right or wrong that she influences her father's decision? Because before we're done, no one said it yet on TV today. It's going to come up, though, whether it was right for her to influence her father's decision in this regard. Here's what I've got to say about this. She is a federal employee, as is her husband now. They're on... They're federal government employees. They work in the White House. They work directly under the president. I think she's an assistant to the president. And she has a right to express herself. But even if she wasn't, wasn't a federal employee, she has a right to give her father her personal opinion. Let's go back in history a bit. John Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, had his attorney brother, attorney general rather, his brother, Bob, 36 years old at the time. 
Bob Kennedy, 36 years old. Ivanka's 35. Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, had his son John as his personal aide for eight years, never put him on the payroll. It was his son. He was working with him, gave his father a hell of a lot of advice. Wives are always giving presidents advice. Wives are always giving their husbands advice. Husbands give their wives advice. They get in bed at night, and his wife might have turned around to him if he sleeps with her now, which he's in New York a lot of times, and said, you know, this is wrong. You should do something about it. Uh, so it could, it could come that way. You don't have to be working for the government, but you can be a close family relation, and you can have an opinion, and you can share it with the president. And if he wants to, you know, take it into account, follow it or not, that's his business. I see nothing wrong with what was done in this instance. Now we come to poor Sean Spicer. This poor guy, the, the, the guy who cuts up on television every day, and he's the public uh, announcer or what have you for the president. Uh, he goes out and, you know, he's the, the press agent, in effect, and he tells the reporters, here's what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, and then he handles questions. This guy's had a hard time from day one. And it's probably because of the man he's working for, Trump, because I can't, I can't believe Trump is easy to work for. Uh, I don't know if anyone could work for Trump as press agent in this regard. But Spicer seems to put his foot in his mouth all the time, and he did it again today at the press hearing today. Uh, he was justifying the attack on Assad uh, with the missiles, the 59 missiles. And he said, after all, this man dropped chemicals, sarin, on the people. Not even Hitler dropped chemicals on the people. Now, I don't know what the hell was in this guy's mind, but Hitler killed over 5 million Jews by putting them in gas chambers. And there's no difference, okay? It might even be worse. Uh, but he forgot. Now he has to come back and apologize, obviously. As soon as he got off the air, they must have grabbed him. He had to come back five times to apologize today, because the more he apologized, the worse it got. Finally, in the end, he did it the right way. He said, I was wrong. What can I tell you? I was wrong. And uh, I got to tell you, I give him a pass. I feel sorry for this guy. I, there's no question this was inadvertent. There's no question he just wasn't thinking when he mentioned Hitler and forgot about the Holocaust. Uh, and to make it even worse, this is a holy week in the Jewish tradition. This is Passover. Uh, he made the mistake. He's made several. Uh, this is what he does so far. Give him a break. Give him a pass. But if he doesn't stop, get rid of him. I want to talk about the Tomahawk missiles. Uh, those weapons that we used that Trump sent over, those 59 missile bombs to drop on that airfield in Syria. We, how, how old are these missiles? This is what I want to talk about. These missiles are old. They're something like uh, 26 years old. The first time we used these missiles, the Tomahawk missiles, was in 1991 in the Gulf War. 1991 in the Gulf War, 288 of them. 
Then in Operation Desert Fox, we used 415. In Operation Allied Forces, this is over the years since 1991, we, we used 218. In the Iraq invasion, 802. That's the most we've ever used. In Operation Odyssey Down, 112. And in this recent military airfield situation in Syria, 59. Now, they're over 25 years old. They're effective. They work for us. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've been talking the last couple of years, especially this past year, what the Chinese and the North Koreans have been doing with their missiles, okay? Their missiles. They have updated their missiles fantastically, significantly. Uh, they have missiles that can go greater distances than any missile we have, China and North Korea, all right? And their missiles can carry greater warheads, more power than any of our missiles. China sends missiles off from these islands they built this past year where there was nothing but water. They built islands, and they can shoot. They're built for missiles, these islands and airplanes. They can shoot missiles from the land, calling these islands land that will have the capability in less than a year to reach New York City, Washington, D.C. Right now they come up short a few hundred miles, but they're keeping on developing them. They have this long range. We don't have that kind of range. And the North Koreans, it is said, no one knows for certain, that their uh, missiles have the capacity uh, or will very soon to reach San Francisco and the West Coast. And both of them have the capacity to send these missiles out with nuclear warheads. So we're behind the times. We're behind the times. We really lost uh, a lot of ground in the last five years. Uh, we've got to get our – Trump wants to. is increasing the budget by, I think, $64 billion or something this year. We, that's one of the areas of improvement we've got to do. We need new missiles. These are 26 years old. They have to be deficient. I'm surprised none of them blow up. They're used because they blow up before they hit where they're going. They are so effective. They're so reliable. That's why we keep using them. But they don't have the distance factor of the new stuff of two nations that could very well be our enemies someday, China or North Korea. Stay with Syria for a moment here. Uh, do we have a Syrian policy? That keeps coming up more and more in the news. Do we have a policy for Syria? Well, it doesn't exist. That's one of Trump's problems. He doesn't have a policy for anything. The man is not, I say this respectfully as our president, is not intelligent enough to know that you've got to say, all right, I'm going to send 59 missiles in. What do I do next? <laughs> What's the next step? Do I send 59 more someplace else? Suppose they retaliate, and where they retaliate, then how do I respond to that? We don't, we don't do this. He has no end game because he's got that little group in the White House advising him who don't know diddly dip, except for a few, few couple of generals. Uh, he has not worked with the State Department. He does not work with the State Department. He does not work with the bureaucrats who are life 
full-time employees in the State Department and knows know what's going on everywhere, every place. He sort of goes it alone and relies on himself and somebody that comes up and says, you know, if we do this, it might work, because it's already been established that sometimes it's the last one that talks to Trump is the one he listens to, okay? you got to have a game plan in Syria. Let me tell you why. <laughs> if it was Syria alone, it would be one thing. But we've got too many countries over there screwing around. They're over there participating in these wars. You've got Russia, Iran, Hezbollah, the United States, Israel. You've got the anti-Assad rebels. And you've got Saudi Arabia. I mean, see what I'm saying? All these people are playing. All of them are conniving one way or another for our support. All of them are screwing us behind our backs, and we know it. Uh, I don't know. This is not a good situation. He's got to have a policy for everything he does. He should have a long-range policy plan for Syria going ahead five to ten years. That's how. That's your business plan if you're in the government. You know, you've got to have a plan. It's a business plan. He must have had a business plan when he built buildings. I assume he did. Uh, you've got to have a policy plan. You've got to have a building plan uh, for working with and on countries. Saudi Arabia. There's, Saudi Arabia is our friend. Let's never forget that Saudi Arabia is our friend and has been our friend for years. Let's never forget that 15 of the 19 terrorists who flew those planes into the buildings on 9-11 were citizens of Saudi Arabia, 15 of 19. Let's never forget our friends, the Saudi Arabians, are the ones who gave us $4 a gallon gasoline. All right? Let's not forget something else either. When all planes were grounded on 9-11 for several days, yet on 9-11 and the next day, certain planes took off from certain airports with the families of Saudi Arabians and also some bureaucrats working in the United States to return them to their country. So they always get a better deal than our friends. I'll tell you the kind of friend they are. They put one arm around your shoulder and the other in your back pocket. That's what they're like. Well, here's what they're doing now. We finally passed the law last year. It's the, the short name for it is JASTA, J-A-S-T-A. And JASTA cleared the way for 9-11 families and survivors to sue Saudi Arabia for what many people in this country believe was their support for the 9-11 attacks. Now, they don't like this Saudi Arabia. They hate it. And you got to remember, Saudi Arabia spends a lot of money lobbying in our country. The amount of money they're spending here for this particular thing I'm going to share with you now is small. They paid a conservative lobby firm in Washington $90,000, okay? And their job is to bring three groups of veterans, isn't that nice, our veterans, to Washington, three groups of 25 to 30 each, to lobby for changes in the law, JASTA, to minimize the impact of these lawsuits. Because if any are successful, 
They're all going to then be successful. And Saudi Arabia's got money up the ass in this country that these people can grab, and they're very wealthy, as we all well know. Uh, So that's what Saudi Arabia is doing right now, our friends. China. I'll tell you, there's a brilliance to the Chinese business mind. In some respects, better than our business people. And you've got to recognize it. Uh, now, what's going on now? China and Canada. China is going to open factories in Canada. The conditions are that they want to bring their own people to work in the factories. No Canadian employees will be hired. These will be Chinese citizens brought here to work, brought to Canada to work in the factories. Uh, that the Chinese build in Canada. This is called free access, quote-unquote, free access uh, to Canada's economy, whatever that might be. Now, what China wants to do with Canada is not new. It's something they've been doing with other countries, and they want to do it with all countries. They haven't tried it with us. They come, build the, the plants for the cars and everything, and we don't get into that. They don't raise that shit with us. Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada is for it. He says, look, let them build the plant. Let them bring their own people to work there. The fallout from that plant being there will be tremendous. Number one, our people are going to build the plant. Look at all the jobs there. Materials mostly will come from Canada. Look at all the money our people in Canada are going to make. Plus, there's the peripheral things. They're going to have to have supplies delivered day on a daily basis, 365 days a year to these plants. It's going to come from little businesses that are going to start up around the Chinese plant. More business for Canada, more employment for Canada. So he wants it. And stay with me before the end. You may want it, too. Uh, why does China want to go to Canada specifically? Because Canada has oil, large supplies of oil, large deposits of oil. China wants to invest in Canadian energy. Right away, Trudeau's got a big deal going. Their China and Canada are going to become partners in getting that oil out of the ground. More jobs, more money for Canada. Australia has been doing it for several years. Australia's been doing this, letting China come in and build plants for several years. They find it works very successfully. They have one condition, and it's by law. China can build all the plants they want as long as the projects involve construction in excess of $150 million Australian dollars. Understandable. So not only is China smart, Australia's smart, and Canada's getting smarter. It would never fly in the United States, and I wouldn't even recommend it. (laughs) It would never fly in this country because of our mentality. And I'm not even saying we should do it. I'm not suggesting it, though it's an interesting concept. Okay. Vaccinations. Vaccinations are becoming a problem. Parents don't want their kids to have vaccinations because they say there are studies that show some of them are going to become autistic or what have you, Uh, whereas there are also studies that say it's impossible to happen. I don't know, but parents are backing off on the vaccinations, and if you back off on the vaccinations, it's only going to take one kid 
who's not inoculated to infect a lot of people who are not inoculated. Rochester, Minnesota recently removed 80 students from schools, 80 students in Rochester, because they were not vaccinated. Now, uh, state law requires the vaccinations, and it's for simple things like measles, tetanus, mumps, and chickenpox. I had measles, mumps, and chickenpox. I didn't have a tetanus problem. And I think my kids, I know my kids had chickenpox. They must have had measles and mumps, too. My kids are all in their 50s now. So it's beyond their generation. But today, children don't have to get measles, mumps, and chickenpox. I have a cousin my age who got measles at the age of four and went deaf. All right? So it's got to stop. California passed a law. Uh, that says you got to, your kids have to be inoculated, 40 vaccines. If they're not, we're going to take your children away from you. That's going to be a while the first time it goes to court. Pennsylvania's got a bill that just came out of their Senate saying parents and children cannot refuse, but they don't spell out what the penalty will be. Interesting situation. I believe everyone should be vaccinated. You have to protect the masses. That, that is the show for this week. We had different subjects. Uh, jumped around, danced around a little bit. Hope you enjoyed. I enjoyed preparing the show and delivering it for you. Uh, please join me again next week uh, for another show. In the meantime, I'm doing a Facebook video under Key West Lou. Facebook video, Key West Lou, one video a day, about a minute and a half to two minutes. I talk about whatever moves me at that moment when I turn on the computer. Look out for it. Listen to it. You, I think you'll enjoy it. I really do. Uh, Facebook video under Key West Lou. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to being with you next week. <laughs>